This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two stupendous human beings, Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. Before we start the show, I want to remind folks that we made some changes to our Patreon tiers, specifically to the $1, $2, and $5 tiers. So if you haven't checked that out yet, make sure you head over to our Patreon to see what kind of changes we made for those tiers there. They're not huge, but... If you're into the new Paul and Mike Read Doom Patrol, or if you're into the book versus book series, there's some changes about how you'll get that content depending on the tier that you're in. So make sure you head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. Now, let's actually get into the show. So let me ask the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been great. I finally finished Home Improvement Project that I've been working on for um, 8 million years or so. Home improvement. So, Xander, make sure you put that Tim Allen good noise inside the episode, please. <laughs> so now I can actually focus on getting through all of these library books I checked out two months ago and reading some more comics that I have lying around. Um, so I finally read awesome. Be- Beasts of Burden Animal Rights by Evan Dorkin and Jill Thompson. And this had been staring at me from my library's shelf every time I went in to pick up a hold since I, I moved and had a new library location with a new selection so i finally picked it up and it's been sitting around and (laughs) this book is about animal characters um it's kind of a kind of like scooby-doo if all of the characters were scoobs (laughs) uh there's some supernatural stuff going on in their suburban neighborhood and they have to investigate all of these things there's this really interesting kind of wizard group uh, called the wise dogs and so if any, if anything really goes wrong they have to um, get a group of three dogs and howl at midnight and eventually one of these wise dogs shows up and i just really liked that they had this like this gandalf club that they mm-hmm. could call on um i i was kind of annoyed by their names like the stray cat's name is orphan and one of the dogs that is half white is just named whitey and then there's a pug called pugs and so that was kind of unoriginal for me um Mm -hmm. but apart from that i i really enjoyed this book and i actually thought that there was only one volume of this so once i finished it and it ended on a little bit of a cliffhanger I was pretty disappointed until I I looked it up and realized that there are two more volumes. So I imagine that I will be reading more of this. That's awesome. I've only heard really good things about Beasts of Burden, and the art is unfucking believably good. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. It's all watercolor. Yeah, I mean, Jill Thompson is just stupendous i mean we i think everyone should know that if you don't know about jill thompson come on get on our level no i'm kidding i'm kidding jill thompson just a fantastic artist you should check out all of her stuff um but yeah that sounds great i'm glad to hear that that's good because it's been on my forever to read list i just have never made the time for it so maybe i should change that but what about you nick how have you been how have comic books been all that stuff well i am really freaking tired i uh just got back from spending uh, yesterday afternoon and evening, and then this morning, um, visiting my sister and my brother-in-law in the middle of the state, somewhere roughly uh, thereabouts of um, Lansing, and uh, seeing their new place, and um, uh, just, you know, doing Father's Day and all that stuff, and um, then being like, oh, we gotta leave real early, you know, I gotta, I gotta do the show. <laughs> uh, and they're like, Thanks, okay, Nick. that's fine. No one cares. Um, 
Although, you know, my brother-in-law, I think he did say he, he listens every once in a while. So, uh, here's a, here, here's a, here's your opportunity, Neil. Um, now that you've, uh, been mentioned in the show, just go ahead and, and, uh, ring me up and tell me you've been listening. Cause, cause I know you're not, you, you, you liar. Um, Nick White, <laughs> uh, bringing families together on a regular basis. Um, so anyway, now that I've got, uh, coffee piping through my veins uh i i have had some time to get some reading done i did just start x-men grand design uh on the way uh home and that's by ed piscor and um like i guess there's a lot of questions and 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 probably i want to avoid most of those because i don't want to fall down the x-men rabbit hole but like the big one i have for you mike is like okay is is Ed Piscor attempting to try to like reinterpret and condense all of X-Men history in a way that makes a more cohesive, streamlined story with some actual narrative readjustments or realignments on his end? Or is he really leaving everything untouched? Do you know? So from my understanding, Ed Piscor, and if you finish this issue, like are you on just issue one or are you reading the trade? Um, I'm reading the trade. Okay. So if you... I don't know if they did this in the trade because I, I bought both of the trades, but I never read them because I read the single issues. In the back of the single issues, every single page that he made a reference to something in X-Men history has a credit. Oh, so, so there's like footnotes, works So there's like 20... like I, I honestly, 12 pages of footnotes in some cases where he's like, this is what happened between 1963 and 1971 or whatever, you know? And I've done and it in one panel, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so yeah, so to answer your question, I think he's trying to condense things to make it clear without leaving anything out that's important to the overall con- continuity. Obviously, there are some things that are going to get skipped over, um, some you know villains that are probably forgettable and unnecessary, or some characters that showed up for an issue and didn't really have any major impact, you know. Um, but I think on the whole, his from what I what I understand he's doing, he's he's trying to create a a basic buildup that leads you to the modern era of X-Men and everything after a certain year or something like that is considered full canon and like it all makes sense but he is condensing a lot of it he's doing exactly what he did with his hip-hop family tree series or is doing with his hip-hop family tree series where he takes history and gets it into a digestible very dense format that you can you can read but I think on the whole like He's not leaving anything out. So, yes, there's probably some questions, and I think going in as an X-Men reader, I had a little bit more of an advantage than maybe someone who doesn't know any history about uh, the X-Men. A little bit, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a little bit. That's the week. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think on the whole, he's. I, I think he's doing a good job. I don't think he's leaving anything out. Like, it's very important to read all the back notes. Like, you should yeah. read every single page of that book. I mean, Michael, you don't need to defend this book to I, me. I, I, I don't know enough to say that you're wrong on any of these things. Sure, sure. I, I guess the, what I'm what I'm getting at is that if you want the full experience, you should read every single piece of that series. Like, everything that you can get your hands on. Yeah, because I don't think I'm going to juxtapose the phrase full experience and X-Men, like any at any point in my life like that's not (laughs) no thank you um but i i only say that because and again this is coming from someone whose biggest like x-men background is like the four-player arcade game basically 
which, yeah, that's which means that like Dazzler has <laughs> just, a much more like pre like prominent role in my life than it probably does in most X Men fans. Sure. Um, but um, like for example, he has Captain America and Logan fighting together during World War Two and coming upon Magneto as a kid before he yep. gets captured by the Nazis. Does this happen? So depending on the story that you read, or depending on the flashbacks that you adhere to. Yes, I okay. I, it's it, here's the thing. So I was there just wondering because I had never heard that. In, never in ever the, heard that before. In the late '90s, early 2000s, maybe I think during the Logan series that they did, there was all this, all this story about Logan's past, like his or, or Wolverine's past, right? And right. He, he was, was in born the Civil in like the War, 18- and he was in yeah, World no, no, War II, blah blah blah. Ex- yeah, exactly. And so he was in all these things, though the character didn't show up until like the. Mid, late 70s or mid 70s like right. they did a bunch of retconning later and i think again piscor is trying to just flatten out all the continuity and say this is if you need a definitive source of what the answer is this right. is the book that contains he's it. trying to fold everything into place yeah exactly okay. exactly so okay you're getting fair. a chronological story is is what the, the the most important part of it is so that x-men fans and marvel fans can go well in this book in 1961 wolverine <laughs> said that he was doing this but in 1994 it said that he was doing this. it's like no now we have the actual definitive thing because it's a classic big two move let's just flatten yeah. out the continuity so that we can build moving forward so yeah i guess that's the the long answer for that i'm so glad i'm not in that fan club thank you um uh yeah the the other book that i want to mention briefly is oblivion song volume one uh this is written by robert kirkman with pencils by lorenzo de felici and colors by Annalisa leone with kirkman like Obviously, I go into a lot of his stuff with skepticism. Obviously, he's got a lot of critics. Oh, everything Kirkman does, it's just done for for the screen. It's just done for adaptation. Um, okay, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a detraction, whatever. Um, I, I guess if you wanted to make a criticism of Kirkman, maybe it's the fact that like anyone who signs up to work with Kirkman is now basically... Um, like stuck with him for the next 15 years of the of their life um which i mean as a you know if you're a freelance comic book person someone saying hey how do you want to spend the next 15 years making money i'm sure that's a real <laughs> a real sacrifice for them exactly uh, so but he has an eye for really picking out um sort of underused or underutilized, you know, underutilized talent and really bringing it to the forefront. Uh, I think a lot of Paul, oh my gosh, and I even had the phonetics of his name written down a few weeks ago, so I got it right then. I'm going to botch it now. Paul Azateca? I think it's Azateca. Yeah, yeah, the artist of Outcast. Like, I mainly knew him for doing a little BPRD before that, but all of a sudden here he shows up and boom, he's a star, right? So, yeah. I feel like he's found somebody new that I think, like, I think this pairing is really, really good. Um, Although, like I said, the funny part is, even though he's discovered them, like, maybe they'll be truly, quote-unquote, free um, in, like, seven or eight years. Who knows? But in terms of the pitch of this book, and it's kind of hard to elevator pitch it because it's almost like a detective story as you attempt to, like, piece together all of these little morsels, but... 
telling someone that is not really the most effective elevator pitch. So once you piece some of those into place, you basically come up with this concept of what if out of nowhere, 30 square miles of Philadelphia were transposed with 30 square miles of an alternate dimension. So I mean... You got me. I, I think yeah. that's a really cool concept. So basically, our buildings, the people, our technology, they all vanish in an instant. And in their place, all of this bizarre vegetation and weird organisms that are equal part gloopy and deadly take their place. And if this is the point where you say, well, I'm glad to hear nothing changed with Philly, um, that's rude. How rude, <laughs> sir. And uh, uh, <laughs> how dare you. <laughs> Home of home of Donovan McNabb, uh, or at least it was at one point, and the Philly cheesesteak. So mm-hmm. again, uh, rude. Um, so this event is basically known as the transference. And uh, ten years later, Earth is mostly recovered. They've fought off the beasts that showed up, and they've boarded off the thirty square miles of the United States from the public. Um, they've even found a way to visit this other dimension, um, and. Uh, try to hunt down and find and recover their lost citizens. Um, That being said, 10 years later, they're finding less people. This uh, recovery project is not as successful. It's slowly getting shut down and its funding is going away. Uh, And this main rescuer named Nathan Cole, uh, he's still searching. He's searching for the one person he hasn't yet found. I won't really get into that, but people can probably make about three to four educated guesses and probably figure it out. Um, But there are some deeper, darker reasons behind why Nathan's searching has been very fruitless. And there are also some interesting motivations behind why he's actually searching beyond finding this person in the first place. Uh, It's, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm interested. I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. Uh, I would encourage people to give it a try. Um, Sounds a little bit like the movie Annihilation. Uh, yeah, I can see that a little that's bit. That's the one that like people, it's got Natalie Portman and everyone said they were never going to sleep again, right? Cause, yeah, yep. Okay, I haven't seen it, but that's what I've heard. Thing. It's like a bear, right? Something with yeah. a bear? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to that movie. Um, yeah. Nick, I, so I, I, I know we've talked a lot so far, but I'm just curious what, made you pick this book up out of out of all the other Kirkman books or all the other books out there um it seems like this is pretty mainstream for you man (laughs) Uh, you know I'm a fucking casual what what can I say (laughs) um give me all the walking dead omnibuses you can find I'm ready no 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 and no no shame honestly no shame in reading Robert Kirkman's book I know no 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 this really didn't this really surprised me when you said that you had picked it up yeah. No, I mean first off it was on sale, which is like uh you you, you like you can be garbage comic issue 313 and if you're in a humble bundle I'm like, well, you you never know. This this could be something. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it's crossed. Um no, uh like I said, Kirkman is someone that I'm there's no guarantee I'm going to get past volume 1, but I'm definitely going to give it a shot. And I think I literally just looked it up today and this already got optioned by Universal Pictures, and I think they're going to try to make it into a movie. Although I feel like almost every project Kirkman does now is like automatically greenlit, yeah. Whether it has the the reason to be or not, but um, yeah. I mean, I I, I enjoyed Outcast. I sort of fell off the wagon, but you know, I thought that was good. Um, 
tried Invincible, just didn't fall down the rabbit hole on that one. And and Walking Dead, I just never um, started, so that was kind mm-hmm. of my my way of dealing with that. But I'm I'm enjoying this. I think the pencils might be a little bit loose for some people, but I like that. I think for probably the first time in a while, probably Invincible, the book has a slightly lighter. Some of the subject matter is a bit darker, but. It feels lighter in the the tone and the um, artist that he's paired with have a lighter tone than like f- fucking outcast for starters. Sure, you know? sure. So interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, if if this has your seal of approval, I want to try it because I I definitely was hesitant um, because I feel like I got on board with outcast and I fell off the wagon because it just I lost interest. So maybe I'll give this volume one a shot. Who knows. Um, but yeah, anyways, for me, uh, because we we did, we got to get through more stuff here, uh, I'm just going to jump into, I had a very fun X-23 reading session for myself, so Kate and I, uh, I should say Kate Scotchless and I sat down and recorded an X-23 mini-sode uh, that's coming out in July when we do our break this summer, and uh, so I sat down and I read X-23 number 12, this is by Mariko Tamaki, Diego Olortugi, I'm gonna, I'm butchering that name. I'm sorry. Oh, you got uh, and a Walden fun one Wong. there, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was like the last issue of Mariko Tamaki's run um, on this series, and I thought it was a pretty good goodbye of sorts. Um, I'm guessing she'll continue to show up in comics. Like X23 is not going away, but it felt like a a good. A, a nice goodbye for the character in like X23 and Gabby, aka Honey Badger. Um, I I don't know what's going to happen in House of X and Powers of X, but uh, I loved the last arc of this book. I thought it was really nice the way that uh, Tamaki kind of signed off the writing um, for, instead of having X-23 sit down and talk with Gabby, instead she's writing her letters like her mom did to her when she was a child and everything was awful for her. uh, X, uh, Laura, aka X23, that is. Um, so I think the thing about this series was that it is 12 issues. I don't know if it got canceled or if it came to a natural conclusion. I'm going to guess the latter because Marvel's been doing a lot of these 12 issue runs and I, I've been really, really, really enjoying it. Um, I think Tamaki, she had a really hard time following Tom Taylor's all new Wolverine because how do you follow the death of X23? How do you follow old, old woman? Logan, I guess, is that old woman Laura, I guess, and uh, so I, I, I enjoyed what she did, but I don't think it was the best X-23 run, um, but I was happy to see how it concluded, it was pretty nice, um, but otherwise, I also read X-23, The Complete Collection, Volume 1, which is the quote-unquote origin of X-23, aka Laura Kinney, uh, this has got a bunch of creators on it, Jay Farber, uh, Craig Kyle, Marjorie Liu, Simon Spurrier, Chris Yost, art with by Nuno Alves, Felipe Andrade, Mike Choi, Will Conrad, Dave LaFuente, Francis Portella, Santa Takeda, and Billy Tan, because this book is like 500 pages long and it covers multiple miniseries. Um, I'll, I don't want to get too deep into it because you really should go listen to the minisode that we have in a couple of weeks, but um, all in all, I forgot how harsh of a fucking origin story Laura Kinney has. Um, there's a lot lot of unnecessary edgy shit that involves like unnecessary violence unnecessary violence against women and rape and it's like holy shit guys you could have like laura kinney she was a clone of wolverine and she was trained to be an assassin as a child you don't really need to make it worse and yet they did um I will say the end of this that volume starts Marjorie Lou's run in X23 where she basically teams up with Gambit on a motorcycle and travels across the country and I fucking love that run not just cuz it's Gambit because it's like who's the worst uncle you could think of and 
how why would they ever think they could help someone that's like damaged and needs help and it's gambit and x23 <laughs> so uh it's a really fun thing so make sure you listen to the minisode it's going to be fantastic kate and i like gushed about how much we love that character and i got really ranty and excited about the there's a specific period of time of x-men that's absolutely my favorite and i went way deep into it so you can look forward to that in july but anyways let's move on let's talk about comics that are coming out this upcoming week comics are dropping on june 19 2019 let's talk about what you're into this week kate let's start with you i am really excited for rat queens number 16 (gasps) that's what i picked That can't. That's not allowed. One of you has to <laughs> seed their seed their ground on this. That's just no. It's uh, totally fine. Restart the episode, guys. Yeah. Um, what do you mean it's to- Mike? What do you mean it's, to- it's not totally fine? Like, uh, okay, um, is- go ahead. <laughs> um, this is the start of the next arc, and they have a new artist named Priscilla Petriades. I think mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. she seems pretty new to the comic book industry. She only has a few things that she's done that's on the market right now, but she did do a special issue called Swamp Rot, Romp, Swamp Romp <laughs> for mm-hmm. Rat Queens um, in April. And I've, I didn't even realize that this came out. So I just looked at the previews online a little bit and her art seems pretty good. Um, it, it really speaks to the characters as I know them. There's been a couple of um, like, uh, special issues here and there where I really didn't like the art at all, so I was kind of nervous to see that there was a, a new artist. But I'm glad that they have a new artist, considering that they have had all sorts of issues with this book. Um, and she looks pretty good, a pretty good match for this series. However, the characters' eyes all were kind of like red and buggy, and they looked kind of stoned. So art-wise, that's a little um, makes me a little bit nervous, but then again the characters might just be stoned because it's this book. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think the issue 16 was where the series kind of met all of its drama in in the first numbering of this book. Oh yeah. um, A couple couple of years back. I don't even think that the original number 16 was collected, um, so that's only available as a single issue. Um which I didn't even realize until I until I fell down this rabbit hole of wait why is why is there a number sixteen I didn't even realize that the, the this whole series had been renumbered because I've been reading it in trades so um, so anyway I'm crossing my fingers that number sixteen is not a a cursed issue number for this series yeah yeah uh, well I I can say you know I'll, I'm going to break the entire structure of this show and I'm going to go next and talk about this series. <sighs> Uh, I know, Nick. I'm I knew sorry. You were setting a bad out. precedent. You you let two people pick the same book, and now you're just <laughs> gonna go. We've done this before. We're, we've done yeah. this before. <laughs> very quickly, very quickly. I will say my thoughts on Rat Queens number sixteen. Ryan Ferrier's or Far- Ferrier is taking over for this book. Um, I, if you've been reading the back issue, uh, so I've been reading this week or monthly as it's been coming out because I don't care what anyone says. I like this book. I know that there's a lot of drama and shit around it, but I think on the whole, it's a positive book. Um, Ryan Ferrier has taken over the writing duties and apparently he's been with uh, Curtis Weeby since the beginning of the series and he's kind of been there as like a, a an ideas like a person to bounce ideas off of not like an editor but just someone that's been working with it he's was lettering the book um, so he's very familiar with the characters and how they should be and uh, Curtis Weeby said that he felt very comfortable handing over the reins to Ryan to write this book. So I'm, I'm confident that we're going to keep the same tone and the same amount of fun um, that the series has had since the beginning. 
outside of that weird issue 16 that is kate you're right it's not collected for a reason because it breaks all the continuity like completely and it felt like a really weird issue to begin with when you read it so uh, we won't even go into it but i just that was my my two cents on it i just kidding nick i'm gonna go after you because i'll talk about another book that i'm excited about so what Um, go ahead kate I just wanted to say really quick that I didn't realize that there was an issue in the series that I had missed at all, and it is available on Comixology for like two bucks. So yeah. just yeah. because of, of my devotion to the series over the long haul, even even considering all the drama, I might have to pick it up and read it and just consider it fan fiction or something. I mean, that's that's a good way to think about that. That's a good way to think about that. Uh, Nick, what about you? What are you excited for this week? Well, for me, uh, it's a new number one. Um which, uh, you know, wow, Nick, uh, stepping outside of his comfort zone. Not, it's a valiant book. So there you go. <laughs> One step forward and six steps back. Um, so <laughs> this is Psy Lords number one. It's written by Fred Van Lenti, and the art is by Renato Guedes. Um, like, in, do you guys remember that show, like, Mad Money? I think it's still going on. Like, I know it's, like, memed a lot where the guy just, like, shouts buy and sell about companies or whatever on msnbc oh yeah yeah yeah. that's that, it was an arrested development a couple times <laughs> oh okay, i guess i forgot ah, that's right that's right i forgot about that well anyway if if we were to go with like mad money verbiage like valiant was veering into sell territory with some of their creative and staffing decisions that followed the dmg acquisition a year later, and at a point where arguably all of the Simmons slash Sham Dasani, they were basically the guys in charge. A year later, now that most of their projects have played out, and we're beginning to see the direction of the new management, like, I wouldn't say that we've shifted to buy, quote unquote, but I would say that we're like firmly at don't sell now, <laughs> uh, which I guess is a good thing. Um Valiant brought back Fred Van Lenti, who wrote their one of their four launch flagship books, Archer and Armstrong. Uh, he also wrote uh, Ivar Timewalker, one of my personal, very underrated favorites, as well as Generation Zero, which is a Harbinger book, so it can go fuck itself. Um, and... <laughs> so having having van lenti back is a real solid vote uh, of confidence at least for me that like valiant hasn't said like hey if you ever worked for valiant in the past or you had like a you know a big presence as a uh one of these initial people from the sham dasani era like we're not gonna have you back because like we don't want people um you know we don't want people thinking back to that era and being like oh i i, I yearn for that so I'm, I'm glad that they brought him back i'm really glad they got renato guedes involved he's been a real rising star for valiant in the past year or two um his work on shadow man with andy diggle was amazing uh, his work on harbinger wars 2 and bloodshot salvation was absolutely fantastic yeah it's a painterly style that tends to be a little static but it's a darker, kind of muddier, blurrier tone in some ways than the weird kind of photorealism shit you get from Alex Ross. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 a welcome difference uh, in terms of just the synopsis of this book. Um, the synopsis from previews is um, that four astronauts awake in an otherworldly prison with no memory of how they got there. What is their connection to the Psy Lords, and how will they escape? Um, the Psylords are um, a piece of Valiant that they brought back. This is not a new original thing. Much like a lot of the other Valiant material, they've gone back and, and sort of revived things or reimagined things. Uh, the original Psylords first appeared 
uh, in Rye and the Future Force, and they had a cameo in Magnus, uh, but they're mainly known for having just a short 10-issue run that ran from 94 to 95, and it was part of Valiant's 41st century setting that they put a lot of their books in. Uh, basically, in the same way that Rye was sort of the bloodshot of the future, the Psylords were the analog to the hardcore, which, as we all know, were the people who were able to tap into individual psyop powers at a time to fight uh, the Harbinger Institute, as 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 is well known by everyone. It's just oh, yeah. a I was established say, fact. That that concept is really cool, but I don't know how many people know about that because I, I remember reading some of Harbinger and I was like, whoa, 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 what the hell? Like, it, it was a very cool idea. Uh, I really enjoyed that as as a reader. Oh, the hardcore. Yeah, the hardcore stuff is very fun. And plus yeah, that name so is just for those uninitiated. Ridiculous. The ten second summary of that is like the hardcore has the ability to dial up this person called the operator and the operator basically flips a switch that allows them to tap into a certain psyop power but they can only use one power at a time so like maybe they're using flight but then someone blasts at them with a laser and then they have to dial up shield but at the same time they're dialing up shield they've now lost flight so now they're shielded but they're falling to their death so you can see how that created a lot of interesting kind of fun um, a lot of fun comic book potential. So definitely. Well, that it sounds like fun. I mean, it. Valiant books always want to hook me in. I don't. I don't know what it is. So, but plus the idea of four astronauts awake in otherworldly prison. Like, come on, alien. It's astronauts lost in space is the most fun kind of story in sci-fi, right? It really uh, <laughs> seems like it's the only thing they know how to do. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, really quick, I'll I'll pick another book just just so that I'm I'm not copying Kate and Nick's brain Bring doesn't fucking explode. Order to this anarchy yes. that you've yes. established. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say I, the other book that I was looking at that I'm excited for is Excellence Number Two. This is Brandon Thomas with Emilio Lopez and Carrie Randolph. Um, holy shit! Issue one was awesome. I just I'm excited for issue number two because uh, I love the idea of fantasy people having to work in the shadows and have to save the world. But there's this there's this really fun idea of how people of color work for people who have privilege and power in the world. And I'm really excited to see how Brandon Thomas tackles that in this series. So looking forward to that very much so. I, I think I heard somewhere that like the first issue has already gone back for like a third printing or something like that. Oh, yeah. I think it did really well. And I really hope this book continues for a long time. I think the concepts introduced in this series just in the first issue are really really cool and man I, I i do love rebels i love this whole book is about like rebelling against like a system plus there's magic plus there's like a whole like positions of power thing about like people who don't know how good they've got it it's it's so cool it's got a lot of really fun concepts to play with so i'm like again i'm excited to see how brandon thomas like tackles the rest of this book because there's a lot of really fun seeds that he planted just in the first issue it, it appeals to that punk side of Mike Rappin, which, as we oh, all yeah. know, is a is a big part of Mike Rappin. Listen, I I we don't want to even get into it. We're we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna, we're gonna talk take about a break. And Mike's comic. gonna list off the entire Sum Forty One discography to me, so it's gonna be. <laughs> oh yeah, true true punk, true punk, <laughs> the only true punk pop. Yeah. <laughs> For our show this week, we are talking about gimmicks in the comic reading experience, and this is a very, very broad topic. We may have to do a second episode all about packaging, because that's a whole thing, but what I wanted to talk about today 
was the idea of what are some weird things we get with the comic reading experience. Like everyone understands, if you're listening to the show, you probably understand that when you pick up a comic, you kind of just read it left to right, or if you're reading manga, right to left, and uh, that's it. It's pages on a, on a screen, or pages on in your hand, or a trade, or a hardcover, or whatever. But over the years, over the many, many years of comics, there have been some very wacky, weird, gimmicky things that may or may not affect your comic reading experience, and I we have a massive amount of notes. So if, if you're interested in some of them, I'm going to put some of them in show notes. Some of them are going to go in the Patreon uh, tier for show notes. It's it's a whole thing. We've got so many so many things. Um, but I guess to start, uh, one of the things that, that kind of brought me into this idea for the topic was at one point Marvel did this thing, and I don't I don't think they do it anymore, where you could download an app. And then as you were reading a comic, you could scan with your phone, your smartphone, and it would bring up this little video or something about the page you were looking at or about the panel you were looking at. And there was this little AR logo that was right on the fucking page, like right in the middle of someone's beautiful art. Not in the middle, but in the bottom corner, there would be this AR symbol and you could scan it and it would bring up a little video. I remember trying it and just being like, I... I think this is cool. I would watch this on YouTube, but I do not want this to interrupt my comic reading experience just to like hear some creator or some artist or some editor just being like, yeah, so when we were designing this page, we were like, wouldn't it be cool if Captain America was giving the finger and then everyone laughs and that's the end of the video. It's like, okay, not a lot of value added there. Maybe for some people did. And if you if you really enjoyed the Marvel AR stuff, I'd love to hear why? Um, but for me, I wasn't a huge fan of it. So I was thinking about this. I was like, where are all these other options? Like, what are the other things that all the creators or all the publishers out there have been doing to try to add to the reading experience of comics? And little did I know, Nick was going to go deep into the underground lore of comic books and find a million bazillion options. So I'm curious, what kind of stuff did you guys pick up? I'm looking at our notes. We've got a ton of stuff and I don't want to keep talking. So Nick or Kate, do you one of you want to start with some of the things you uncovered in your research for this episode? I kind of want to talk about Barrier real quick because it's the only sure. book of the of this list that I've actually seen and like been in, been a reader for as it as it was coming out, and right. they combined two gimmicks for the reading experience and one gimmick for marketing. So it was just a whole mess of ideas. Um, this, this is the series by Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin, right? Yes. Yep. It came out, I think it was from Image last year. And I yeah. was told... It was, I think it was, it was originally book day issue. It was originally distributed online on their website, Panel Syndicate, and then they eventually huh. got it published through Image, I think, right? Interesting. I, I should say, I'm pretty sure that's how it went. And I, I think there was a joke in an issue somewhere where... Uh, Brian K. Vaughn said the only re- only way I would ever publish these books physically is if I could write a digital Walking Dead book, which he did. <laughs> okay. uh, but anyway, sorry, not to completely derail your conversation here. But yeah, Nick, it was the first issue was um, a free comic book day comic, I believe. Um, oh yeah, I've got, I got it from there. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, there was five issues in the full mini, and I was told at the comic shop that there weren't they weren't going to reprint it. And from what I've been able to find online, that's true. It's not even available as a trade. Um, but this was, it was laid out horizontally. So when you open it, the the crease, uh, your page crease, your gutter is going to be in the middle. You know, <laughs> at the top, and then you open yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And then it was um, half in Spanish, like there was an English um, character or English speaking character and a Spanish speaking character and they get abducted by aliens. 
Um, <laughs> spoilers. So, like, I took a little bit of Spanish, but I wasn't very good at it. So I finally downloaded Google Translate onto my phone. And then I downloaded the Google or the Spanish dictionary so that it'd be faster. And I literally read these issues with Google Translate open on my phone, which was fascinating technologically, like that I can do that in today's like technology sphere Mm -hmm. of things, Mm -hmm. of possibilities. But it was uh, like a a real big, like reading... was Look, it a reading it a really barrier? Time. Yeah. Was it yeah. a reading barrier, Kate? Mm-hmm. Is that what it, it was? It was indeed a barrier, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Thanks, guys. This has been the I Read Comic Books Podcast. We'll catch Bye. you next week. <laughs> that's uh, Mike's tight five right there. So yeah, thank you. Thank that's you. That's the full extent of it. And then on top of all of this, it was also oversized. Like it was it was too tall for a normal bag and board. Which now that yeah. I know that it was it was online, I could see how maybe they made they made it in like more traditional like newspaper size panels and then that's why they had to to print it at this size and mm-hmm. then horizontally that makes more sense but there was just a whole lot going on with this book <laughs> yeah i i remember i mean they did a similar book uh private eye private eye yeah and- I, I i i think um i think brian k vaughn who i i i'm gonna guess from this is a real punk like I think his main rule for panel syndicate is that we're going to make books that will never fit on your bookshelf because right. again he's a punk. Like well, if you've ever I, gone into any <laughs> any shop that sells trades, it will not be hard to find Private Eye because it yeah. juts out like nine inches from the shelf. So what's interesting is I think the idea with panel syndicate um, was that they were going to do everything in a landscape format. They weren't going to do anything that was portrait, um, so that it would right. you could read it on a computer, you could read it on a phone, and it, you wouldn't have to like scale it too much. And which I think is an interesting idea. It was a good experiment. I I enjoyed P- Private Eye um, for what it was, and uh, it sounds like Kate. I guess overall, did you enjoy the book? Did you feel like that that language issue was or the language scanning thing was a problem? Like you couldn't enjoy the book otherwise. Well, I haven't finished it, but I own all okay. of the issues, so that okay. should tell you how badly I want to sit down and and struggle through that again to finish yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in in total, I would say that it's a pretty good story. Like, I want to know what happens, but man, like the little bit of Spanish that I know does not get me through a discussion about alien abductions. So, and then I don't even know if Google Translate knows the word for abduction. There was a few things that couldn't translate. That would translate. be surprising. That would be surprising. But yeah, okay. So I mean, that's a that's a, a pretty interesting gimmick. I don't know if it's a gimmick so much as them trying to be honest about Spanish, right? Like that's them true. saying this character speaks Spanish, and there's yeah. no reason that you would need it translated unless you spoke Spanish. You know? Yeah. Um, for inclusion you know, reasons, I I liked that they did that. It's just with everything else that they did for this book, it was it was a big hassle <laughs> to gotcha. read. Gotcha. I have to like sit in the in a different position to open it a different way, and I can't mm-hmm. like curl up with a blanket because it, it takes so much more space to open it up. Anyway, gotcha. Brian K. Vaughn planned it all that way. Like that was, <laughs> I, <laughs> Nick. I don't stop yeah. it. We're not we're not making any more claims about Brian K. Vaughn today. <laughs> okay. All right, fine. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't even consider that book, but that's an that's an interesting idea. Like, um as like a as a barrier to entry for reading that book but i guess if you spoke spanish that would probably be like a nice change of pace all things considered right 
Otherwise, I, what other stuff did you guys have? I had some more stuff about Marvel because all the gimmick stuff that I know of is just just old Marvel stuff from the last like ten or so years. Um, what about you, Nick? What What are some of the highlights of your notes that you've got here? One thing I would want to say, or kind of preface this um, whole discussion in a way, uh, would be that like I don't necessarily consider gimmick to be a a pejorative term. Um, like sure, I, I, sure, and I'm not saying that anyone else on this show feels that way either but i like at least when i was doing my research and everything like that like you know gimmick is just another just a another way to try to make money basically right so like some of it is obviously more tawdry or or uh, unscrupulous than others uh some of it just seems kind of interesting right like so i think i think what i'm getting at is there's there's like a broad spectrum of like gimmicks in terms of um, how shitty or how shady they are or just how kind of maybe they're just fun, right? Yeah, but yeah. one thing I found that was kind of interesting was that in a CBR article um, about the greatest comic book gimmick covers, um, they they mentioned that actually a lot of gimmicks owe themselves to the success of the direct market in the late 80s, which, I mean, for some of us probably seems like a no-brainer, but, but it's still interesting to know Um and, and that's because the direct market eliminated returns. This lowered the printing costs of a lot of comics. Um, this freed up all of that money to be spent on production. <clears throat> and it's true that for some production studios, some of them, this allowed them to take their black and white book and actually start dabbling in, in actually coloring their pages or having a higher improved uh, print quality. Uh, but it also meant that they could experiment with special covers uh, because they would only be printing as many as were ordered and they wouldn't have to deal with any cost prohibitive returns. Right, um, right. Which is really what brought about this. <clears throat> One of the craziest covers uh, I've heard about is for an issue called Jab Number 3. Now, Jab was an independent comic book anthology series that was uh, going on in 1993, and they decided they were going to do something really out there for their third issue. And by out there, I mean that they decided that each issue was going to have a bullet hole in it. Uh, a real bullet hole in it. Like, Wait, like someone's going to actually shoot the cover of every single issue? Right, exactly. This isn't like, oh, this is roughly the shape of a bullet hole, let's put this into our printing press and just implement it and just basically hole punch all of the issues no all of the issues were actually shot the the standard edition was shot with a 22 uh but there were nine millimeter 45 and shotgun special editions uh the shotgun edition came in a bag and was guaranteed to be unreadable um Wait, not so unlike a lot of the other 90s polybag books so um <laughs> are you telling me wait wait they shot not just the cover but the whole issue itself yeah yeah exactly holy what (laughs) i'm sorry that's fucking insane so the hole went through the middle of the book and all of the artists were asked to incorporate this into their stories uh it took three days to shoot all three thousand copies um and the cover of which was a despondent fan surrounded by long boxes and mylar bags who was distraught that his book was no longer in mint condition um, because of the hole in the middle of it. Uh, so it's kind of a weird one leaning very hard into the gimmicky nature of the 90s while at the same time basically saying, aren't these gimmicky? I need to put this in a mylar bag. I need to store this in a long box. It needs to be in mint condition. Aren't these people idiots? So it was a very interesting uh, both critiquing and participating in the in the fad. 
So Oh my good. I mean I'm I just Googled the cover for this book and yeah. oh Lord. Oh Lord. <laughs> That's all I can <laughs> say about it. <laughs> so I mean, uh I guess the best synopsis of it is um America. Uh <laughs> basically <laughs> yes I, li- I like that i like uh, that so so that one you know that one's kind of fun not really sinister i would say like the ones i have more problems with and we'll get to those are the ones that really created a, a speculator's market or something like that sure sure um like another really fun one that i enjoyed before we get into the really you know deep dark depressing stuff um was superman man of steel number 30 uh, this came out in late 1993, and this uh, took place not long after Superman decided he wasn't dead anymore, which was kind of a weird decision on his part because, like, when he was gone, it was like time. Let's let's make a lot of money. Um, as DC, you know, effectively split Superman into four different books. Mm-hmm. Um, so Superman decides he's not dead, and Lobo decides he's going to pay a visit to Earth. Uh, for reasons that he wanted to see if Superman was as strong as he was before he died. Right. Um, Sounds like a legit reason to come to Earth. That seems legit. It's a pretty clear um, pitch for a story, so I guess that works. Mm -hmm. Um, So the cover was a very glossy wraparound of Metropolis, and included in the polybag were vinyl drawings of Superman and Lobo, which would stick to this cover, um, due to static electricity, and this came to be known as the first uh, DIY cover. So, um, interesting. I think these issues were also known as color form issues, which I at first misread as chloroform issues. At which right. point, I was like, <laughs> "This is a gimmick. Uh, this is weird." So, um, did you say that yes. the final thing was that the same thing as the color form? I believe so. I think they're called color forms as well. Okay. Yeah. Because I thought that the color form covers were something different because something that I read online said that they came with these like sticker type things where you could like place the characters in different spots. Right. And that's what those vinyl. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't talking about the same thing, but. Yeah. The, the, the one I was looking at said that it was Man of Steel number 30 and World Collide Worlds Collide number one, like way back in the 60s. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I think it, I'm seeing. Worlds Collide number one came out in 1994, maybe. Oh, okay. Anyway, but even this... still, I can see the stickers on this this thing that I'm looking at, and it they look like the stickers on a fucking comic book cover. Yeah, yeah. The whole sticker thing was like that, like spoke to the child in me, like, oh, a sticker book, but it's Superman. <laughs> right, 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 right. And you, but you could place them and then remove them and place them yeah. again, right? Yeah. As far That's as pretty, I, know. I mean. That's a fun little gimmick. I'm all for that. That seems yeah. like a lot of fun. You, your cover is never going to be the same as anyone else's. How about that? So you get that CGC graded. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm I'm sure that a lot of people could just, once they were done with their cover, they could submit that to DC, and DC could basically make that the plot of the next uh, Superman issue. Uh, <laughs> right. Everything preceding, during, following the death of Superman like not only was that a time where there was just so much superman superman content being put out there but it was also you know gimmick central in terms of the time era so you were yeah it was sort of a, a epic meeting of the two um so yeah there was definitely a lot of that stuff going on yeah okay so there was there was also a um superman glow in the dark cover where i guess superman got blue powers 
Sure. S- right. Yep. Super, yep. Yep. So the blue would glow in the dark. And there was a couple of other ones back in the 90s um, for the glow-in-the-dark gimmick because there was a Sandman special called In Dreams I Walk With You. Um, the artist was Dave McKean, and it shows a, an alternative image um, on, the, the on the cover? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then there was a couple of issues of, of The Spectre by John Osterlander and Tom Mandrake um, where it revealed skeletons. Cool. Yeah, I, I mean, want more glow in the dark stuff. Scary. <laughs> Give me some sco- spooky, scary covers that will yeah. freak me out when I've plant- I put them on my wall in the middle of the night and I just see a skeleton glowing. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, really, thank you so much, DC, for ruining my fucking brain. <laughs> 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 oh, man. See, the other stuff that I-, I was thinking about was like Marvel did these adaptive comics at one point where you could read their books in the Marvel Unlimited app and they had, like, for instance, they did a, a like, a they had hired this guy david ari leon he's like an emmy nominated composer and he wrote original music for the captain america winter soldier comic and so as you're reading through like a handful of issues of that run like this music starts to play and swell with the beats of the story supposedly i mean i don't know how that works with reading because i was gonna say like i must assume that in order for them to make that work the thing must completely control your reading pace of the issues or or it was i mean i've i've heard of marvel doing something similar to this um they were i remember at c2e2 years ago they debuted something like this where you could sit down and you could read through a couple of pages of a book and the music was written and crossfaded in such a way that as you move forward, it would swell and it would do all the things that the music needed to do, um, provided you weren't reading it too fast. And so, like, there were just little clips of music that all went together. But uh, I don't know. I never tried it. It didn't sound like a fun thing to me. Um, I realize I'm coming at this with a lot of negative negativity towards the gimmicks because, like, when I'm reading comics, I don't need you to, like, insert another type of media to it. But I Look, do when think, I'm like, reading these covers... comics, I adhere to the sonic mantra, uh, gotta go fast. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you're not, right. You know, you're not getting in my way. There's yeah, a lot it... of um, playlists anymore for comics. As you're reading through them, there'll be, like, a recommended track to go listen to on Spotify. Yeah, and I, I think that was that was something I was also considering putting in my notes, and I didn't like the end of some issues of what was it Hawkeye? I think David Aha would be like, "Oh, here's the songs I was listening to while I was creating this series or creating this issue." Yeah, and a couple of other series have done that, like The Weatherman. Most recently, I've been reading that, and at the end of those uh, issues, they were like, "Hey, go! Don't forget to check out our Spotify playlist where we, you know, had all the music that inspired the issue or inspired the whole series." Yeah, um, which I think is a, it's a cool idea, but I'm not gonna be listening to, you know, Phoenix or whatever some random band while I'm listening reading the comics. I just I just want to read my books, yo. I could see listening to those soundtracks later like after i've read the comics but then there are comics where like every couple of spreads they have like a recommended track for that set of pages and i can't and i can't see looking up these tracks and then changing the track halfway through to the next track like that just seems really disruptive yeah so long story short don't introduce any music to your comics folks (laughs) come on Uh, i mean if you're Honestly, Don't try to get me to do anything else when I'm reading comics. I'm reading <laughs> comics. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'd be curious to know if some folks do that and they, they enjoy listening to the music that have been suggested by artists or creators, I should say, when they're reading the books. Because I, I, I personally don't enjoy it. But if you do get something out, I'd love to hear like what your experience is with that and why you enjoy it. So, you know, reach out to us. But uh, 
yeah, I guess I, th- those are the big ones that I had. What else do you guys, you guys have a ton of other really fun stuff. So like jump w- into something, please. I wanted to talk about die cuts because I love die cuts. They are f- fantastic, fascinating like packaging ideas. I mean, this is back to packaging a little bit, the way that things no, are no, like, that's put together physically. For, but, for those who aren't aware, what is a die cut? Um, so I took a tour of a printer one time and they showed me this machine where they have to specially make whatever shape it is that you want to cut out of your cover and they have to load into the machine and one by one, they cut these covers and you, you cut the that die that shape out of that cover so it might be more automated now or at a larger printer but just the amount of work that goes into these things like it's it's costs extra it looks takes extra planning because you it's going to show you what's on the next page through the hole in the cover so anyway i think that they're fascinating but this has happened um once in comics that i could see for batman number 13 death of the of the family back in 2012 and they used it in a really intriguing way. So from the pictures I could see online, um, they were introducing the Joker's new look, like they were hinting at what it might be. So you could see the Joker's face through Batman's um, Batman's mask, or like it would be the bottom half of Harley Quinn's face or something like that. But die cuts are also really hard to photograph because if you take a picture of it, it looks like it's just a flat piece of art. So... I had a really hard time finding pictures of this. Okay, so I I actually have a copy of this. Oh what? Um, yeah, I have. I bought. I remember this when this came out. I was like, oh, that's a really cool gimmick. So I picked it up because I was like, that's really cool. I want to have it. So yeah. I think I have that somewhere in my box. My my boxes of comics. Um, just that one off issue. I'm really surprised that there aren't more of these. I mean, like I said, was it was it overpriced? Did it cost more? No, I think it cost the same price as a regular comic. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I again, this was seven years ago so maybe my memory is wrong yeah well it does take extra extra work and extra time at the printer probably but i would love to see more of these because i mean i guess if you're if you're not going to bag your issues it it is a tearing possibility like maybe they had some difficulty shipping it or something like that that could be a possibility but it is a really cool thing to do as long as you can store your books safely to use this for something like like a mystery Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pretty cool cover. I mean, I like that I, that big, like, the card stock that they use for it is pretty heavy, which makes the, the mm-hmm. book feel firmer. That's but yeah, good. I could totally see, like, one of the ears or something getting hooked and something and getting getting torn. Right. Um, I think I specifically stacked it between two books when I put it in my bag to go home that day um, from the shop. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really... I guess I'm surprised that more shops haven't done that because it seems or sorry not shops but uh, more publishers haven't done that because it seems like a really fun gimmick to like add to your book to to do something like really iconic yeah yeah i mean on on the flip side the the optics of course don't look good because it makes you look like you're making the slow procession towards the 90s again right (laughs) um which yeah like, i can see that i can see that I have, I have mixed feelings about that like i have no problem with some of these concepts being introduced as long as <clears throat> the speculator market that accompanies them isn't really part and parcel of it um you know in in, in the same way that like dc with dc rebirth they made it and i'm not sure if this is still true because i'm obviously mostly out of dc at this point but with dc rebirth virtually every single issue um had 
<clears throat> had a main cover and a variant cover, and like it wasn't like the variant was ordered in a different quantity. It wasn't like the variant was harder to get. Um, there wasn't like a speculator market really brought on board with it. It was just a different option. You know what I mean? So like I have no problem with a lot of these things if they're done in that in that fashion. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's, I know we, I mean, we could get into a whole discussion that I don't want to get into in, in like the leaning back towards the 90s of the crazy amount of variants that we've seen. I mean, pretty sure that Fantastic Four number one had like 100 variants or something. Oh, no. I don't know. I, that's that's an exaggeration, but it was quite a lot. But there, there's actually been a variant interiors for the Teen Titans series. I couldn't find a year on this and I couldn't Wait, find the, any pictures so online, but... When you say variant interior, uh, explain yeah. this, Kate. Hold on, it, what? <laughs> it's basically like variant covers where depending on which issue you buy, the interior is different. So there was the the very first issue of the series, I guess, was released where there were there were different backstories for each of the characters depending on which issue you bought. So like there were fans that were trying to find all of the different issues for all of these different backstories, but they were all just marketed under Teen Titans number one. That that would drive me insane. It would also drive me <laughs> insane. But like, it, I think it would be fine if on the cover it said Teen Titans number one and then it had the name of the person under it. So right, right. you could at least figure out what you were buying before you bought it. And then maybe that would make it easier to find like the rest of the issues. Mm -hmm. um, or if they were all collected in a trade later or something. But yeah, this seems like it could be really frustrating if it wasn't labeled on the cover. And it's just semantics bullshit anyway, because it's just another way of saying, here's five one-shots you have to buy, yeah. right? Sure, sure. Like, uh, these aren't, these aren't tie-ins, these are variant interiors. Uh, okay, looks like you're up for a promotion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. Um, one of the gimmicks that I actually encountered myself, that I, that I lived through, um, that I, I think some people might remember was uh, Zero Month for DC. Oh, yeah. And um, this is when DC decided to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the New 52. And this took place in September of 2012. Uh, and they decided that this uh, celebration was going to be a line-wide one without any exemptions or considerations for how that might look. So all of the books would get a zero issue. Um, uh, which with the obvious intent that these zero issues would be providing origin stories. The thing is, they didn't really think this through um, because certain books, for example, Phantom Stranger, ended up launching that month. So because it launched the same month as Zero Month, the first issue wasn't exactly issue one like it was for most books. Now the first issue for this book is actually issue zero. Which, um, I guess, is just kind of weird and only contributes to how confusing comic books can be. Um, mm -hmm. And then, uh, on the flip side of that, they also didn't consider that they would end up canceling certain books in that month. So other books like Resurrection Man and Voodoo and Captain Atom, they were all canceled in September. Which means that those books now had to do double duty, because not only were they closing the doors to the book... And the, the writers and, and teams had to find a way to conclude these books, but because it was zero month, they were now also having to play the game that DC had set up, so more or less they were having to provide a closure, as well as an origin story at the same time oh, for boy. these books. And it's like, hey, Nick, how did that go? Well, just go ahead and guess, because it sounds like it went real bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Think, 
at least for that month, right? Like, don't introduce any new books. Don't yeah. cancel any books right, so right. that you don't have this weird situation. And you might be thinking, well, Nick, that sounds like a terrible idea. Did DC learn from this? No. In the two subsequent years, they decided that they loved this new 52 anniversary idea. So in 2013, we got Villains Month. And in 2014, we got Future Zen Month. Or as I like to call it, DC shows how much they love lenticular covers and the problems and production perils that come with them. Um Nick, you're ragging on DC a bunch. Look, I, these are just the things I experienced because I was reading DC at the time. So the, the lenticular covers, they're like the 3D things where you can like shift them left and right and they show two images, right? Bingo. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I, I I recall this. I think I have a couple of them. I think Scott Snyder might have signed one of mine. <laughs> I might oh, just yeah. I might own a bunch of those. They also did a Lego month, right? Didn't they also do something like that where all the covers were like Lego characters? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that was technically part of the anniversary thing. I think that was more when DC started having, and I'm sure you probably remember this. I don't know if you got into this at all, Kate. Like, like DC started having themed months. So, yeah, like, one yeah. month was, like, Harley Quinn month. So, like, they found a way to do variant covers for all of the books where Harley Quinn found her way into space with the Green Lanterns and all of this. And there was, like, a Batman month. There was, like, a Flash month. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were goofy and crazy, like I said, because they ended up with, like, all sorts of weird, you know, where they had to, like, put Batman in space with the Green Lanterns or whatever for Batman month or whatever, you know. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. But again, like, they were largely harmless gimmicks, right? Like, yeah. these covers didn't enter into a sort of speculator mess, you know. So. Yeah, at least, at least not to my knowledge. Not um, to my knowledge, yeah, that's yeah. that's fair. Well, before we get into probably the greatest gimmick in all of comics, because that's what I want to end on, Nick, I do okay. want to talk about um, this book that I bought. It was a Madman comic, and I'd never read Madman before. If you're if you're someone who's read a lot of comics, you've probably seen Mike Allred's series Madman. It's like it was a big book. I think it image for a while. For the Horse. listeners, this is Madman, not Mad to be confused Man. with the John Ham helmed. Mad TV Men. series, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, so, Mad okay. Man is a series about a character that I honestly don't know anything about. I truly have no idea what it's even about. Um, but this this issue that came out was called Mad Man In Your Face Special, and it was a 3D comic, and it cost $10, and it came with a pair of 3D glasses, and you could read the comic, and it was in 3D, like the you know red and blue 3D, and it was by far the most like interesting and very jarring reading experience that i've ever had because for one i don't i realized because i'd never bought anything that had those 3d glasses before i don't really do well with those my brain like doesn't doesn't comprehend it well and so trying to read through this oversized massive issue that was all 3d of mike allred's beautiful art like jumping all over the place i don't remember what the story was i just remember sitting at my table at home at the time going through this reading a handful of pages, taking the glasses off, making sure that I understood what was going on, putting them back on over and over and over. And I thought it was, <laughs> I, I, it was cool. And I know that like 3D comics are a thing, but I'd never bought one before. So I was like, I got to try this at least. And I, I'm sure that I have that one bagged and boarded somewhere with the glasses because I was like, I can't get rid of this because it's ridiculous. Um, 
because uh, at the time I was like obsessed with Mike Allred's art and I was like, I'm just going to buy anything that he does. And uh, it, it's it's bizarre. I, I know that there have been a bunch of these in the past, like I said, but uh, it's a it's a strange experience. I just want to make sure that it was out there because 3D comics are definitely one of those old gimmicks from a long time ago that have sometimes like resurfaced in the weirdest places. And I think Madman, it works for Allred's art. Like his art is very cartoony and poppy and, and it works really cool or works really well. But for me, I just reading it was like, super jarring i i don't remember even if i finished the story uh because it was a lot it was a lot to take in at once um but yeah i guess i i want to save the the really cool one until the end but nick kate is there anything else you want to bring up before we get to the ultimate comic book gimmick as far as i'm concerned yeah sure i mean briefly i i think poly bags have to be at least mentioned or addressed to some to some extent no yeah yeah <laughs> sorry sorry we gotta we gotta poly and like bags, poly yeah. bags are demonized so much and yet on some I level mean... i get it wait, wait you know? so when we say poly bags we're talking about the the completely obscured covered books that are inside these plastic bags right right like very very popular during the 90s you would get certain books shipped to you and they would come in these bags and sometimes it was for um innocuous reasons like uh, frequently the the bag was used in order to store supplementary materials that came with the comic just in a way that would you know keep it from falling out or being lost such as um trading cards or things like that right but then uh in other situations um like it was basically (laughs) used to deliberately obscure whatever book you were getting um in hopes that either um well, in one sense, uh, say the book only had one cover, right? Like, you knew what you're getting. Uh, polybags were effective in that sense because even though you knew what the cover of Spider-Man 400 was or whatever, there was only one of them, um, that uh, you, you would buy two copies. One so that the book would remain sealed and quote-unquote fresh um, in the bag, and then the other one so that you could actually open it up and read it. Uh, where things got more nasty were with books, and I don't know why I just referenced Spider-Man 400 for the other one, because Spider-Man 400 is actually the good example for this one. Um, Todd McFarlane drew Spider-Man 400, wrote it, and did everything, and for his book, they did a a bunch of variant covers, but the book was polybagged, and so you didn't know what cover you were getting. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Okay. You better buy a bunch or find a friend willing to trade or or something like that. Uh, And so that's where the polybag, one of the ways in which the polybag kind of got uh, a bit of a nasty um, reputation for being like this sort of speculator's market or as I call it, the... um, the you never know what you're going to get or the the Forrest Gump method of marketing, I suppose. Um, Yeah. Which, I mean, I mean, is it really that sinister? I don't know. I mean, if you look at, like, Magic the Gathering packs of cards or, or even Hatchimals, right? Like, these are all couched on the premise that you're buying something without a f- total guarantee of what you're getting, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing that I would say, the only time I think polybag is necessary is for something like Sex Criminals when they did right. the like not safe for work variant covers, and they're like, okay, right. this is we can't show this to anyone, but you can buy it, and it's going to cost four dollars and sixty nine cents because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. And uh, th- I was going to say that to me is the only case where polybags are acceptable. But Kate, it sounded to me like you had a serious problem with polybags. I'm curious to know what it is. I just 
when it's only used to generate extra sales, like Nick mentioned, you have to buy one that stays in the bag and one that you can read. I just don't mm-hmm. like that. It's just okay. it's just okay. a marketing gimmick to make people spend more money when at the end of the day, your comic probably isn't going to be worth that much more in 10 years anyway. Right. Like, right. I don't even understand it anyway. You like you you keep it in the bag. Right. And then where do you store store the bag? Do You put this sealed bag in your bags and boards now yeah, whatever uh, no it's, you put it, it in your seems... mylar block of plastic nick that's three inches thick <laughs> yeah to your your the, your, your the brick comic. of carbonite yeah and you <laughs> yeah. freeze it in there and <laughs> ship it off to java's palace no yeah. um uh, <laughs> it sounded to me kate like you had one more thing you wanted to bring up before we go into the ultimate gimmick yeah so there was something that was was announced and it was never made and I'm very disappointed about this and it was the chew scratch and sniff cover <laughs> from 2017 and oh, I I just the idea is so gross. <laughs> yeah, I I saw the rumors of this online so of course I did a deep dive and dug into it and it turns out that they never did it but like I I want a scratch and sniff comic book cover maybe not of food but Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what Batman's aftershave smells like. So, can <laughs> I get a scratch and sniff Batman that's just Bruce Wayne spraying cologne on or something, and I can scratch and just, ooh Armani or something like that? <laughs> I was I was just gonna preface all of this uh, by saying, you know, I, I'm not pro poly bags. Uh, I'm just saying, like, I understand the marketing. It's just the difference that I think in other realms like trading cards right like at least you can build something on that because they have like a game or something that exists around it right whereas like comics it's just fucking speculator bullshit and the scariest thing is like people are still doing polybags and i don't even mean like the sex criminal stuff like they did one for D- dc did one for i think the release of harley quinn's little black book if you remember that like four mm-hmm. years ago yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, Marvel still does this. I mean, DC okay. still does it. I mean, it's yeah. it's a thing that's really annoying, and it doesn't. I, I never see them sell out at Midtown, so I don't understand who's yeah. buying them. Well, you know, I, I think what was genius about when DC did this in 2015, and I, I do want to point this out because I think this is smart, and I think this is a harmless gimmick, and I would maybe love to see this again. So for that poly bag, um, they certain artists were commissioned to actually do um, original art or sketches um, and then those were put in the poly bags. Oh yeah. I remember the Jim Lee like one in 5,000 variant that they were doing. It's it's fucking wild. And it was crazy, you know, because everyone was going like wild on like bleeding cool when like the one of these issues would be found, you know, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. But they weren't marking up the price and because these issues potentially had these original sketches inside like who was going to keep the thing sealed, right? Like, yeah, is the, yeah. does that really outweigh finding original art? So I think they designed the whole thing in a way where this whole like I'm going to hoard 74 of these in bags, like it it didn't make didn't make sense. It didn't make dollars and cents. So yeah. um, anyway, I thought that was kind of neat, and <laughs> apparently I've got a really tangled, deep, dark um relationship with the poly bag that i need to go unravel after this i suppose yes i think you need to you need to talk to someone and get that all settled but yeah before we do that because we're already running long on this episode i do want to get to the best gimmick that i've ever heard of in comic books so nick will you please present us best worst gimmick please 
So for me, yeah, the best worst gimmick definitely has to be the fact that in 1977, Kiss cut a deal with Marvel. So this sentence is already in a real bad place. We're only a few <laughs> words in and we are right. not going anywhere good with this. This is Kiss um, the Band, right? This is Kiss the Band. Okay. Yeah. So uh, they're going to do a deal with Marvel, which is obviously well known as like family friendly, whatever, um, you know. So they're going to be in the Marvel Comics Super Special. And they said, well, how are we going to promote this issue? And someone, who knows who, someone thought it was a good idea for each KISS member to put a vial of their blood into the red ink that made up the comic. I, I cannot imagine this actually happened. I imagine someone took the, the blood from the members of KISS and said, yeah, 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 we'll definitely do it, and then immediately threw it away, right? Like, this has to be Immediately fake. threw it into one of those, like, hazmat, like, hazardous materials things that you see at the doctor's office. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Put it into one of those bins. <laughs> but this really happened. Like, this 100% happened. There's photographic proof. Um, there was a notarized contract of it. They, uh, uh, it's it's well documented that this actually went down. Um so I gotta imagine that someone bought that issue and like definitely tried to like lick the ink off of it or something oh, gross. God. It's, it's, <laughs> I, you gotta I, wonder I, like the way it, like how much they mixed it up or whatever. Like maybe maybe someone out there has an issue and that one's that one person's issue, like all of the red ink is actually kisses <laughs> like if you leave it out in a, in a in like a humid room it starts to actually bleed like it, oh my god uh, i could see this Th- this to me is the most ridiculous insane gimmick and i call it the best because it's the worst um that i've ever heard of because why like of all the things like we we were talking we we're talking about so many different things and i know there's stuff we didn't get a chance to cover but like why would you ever want to like kiss doesn't even seem like that badass of a band to want to put their blood <laughs> into a comic and yet they did i guess there's contractual proof that it happened so i don't know it just it just blows my mind i'm very i was very excited about that um but anyways i we do have more things i like i said i'll throw all some of this stuff in the show notes um if you're at, back us on patreon at a certain the right tier you can get access to our raw show notes so you can see all the stuff that kate and kate and nick and i dug into uh mostly kate and nick i should say but uh for now let's wrap up the show because we are running out of tape uh you can follow us all on the internet you can follow nick at death star plans you can follow kate at kate lamphere or kate elfier you can follow me at mike rapin and you can follow the show at ircb podcast on twitter and instagram where i try to post pretty regularly on there just so that folks know what kind of fun stuff that we're into we would love it if you went and subscribed to our Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash IRCB podcast. Without your support, this show wouldn't survive. Join now for access to new and Patreon-only episodes and articles and early access to the top of uh, my pile posts and so much more. We also have a Goodreads group, as many of you know. It's a lovely community of comic friends, and we have weekly threads uh, going on all the time. Some of those weekly threads going on right now are, we have one that is about episode 205 from last week, uh, and we also have the July Book of the Month nomination thread, which just uh, debuted. And if you have any other names that you want to look up or figure out the pronunciation to, we might have put them on our pronunciation guide, which is at ircbpodcast.com. We also sell merch there. 
and you can also get access to our zine from there, uh, which I think if we get enough Patreon subscribers, maybe we'll all put vials of our own blood in the <laughs> printed version. I mean... If we get to 10,000 subscribers, we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about us. Share this show. If you haven't rated, why not? It really does help us out. You can email the show with comments, questions, and jokes at ircb at destroythesib.org, which is like cyborg, but with a dot in the middle. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music, and they have a new album coming out. So if you want to, you can go check that out at infinityshred.com. Xander is a... He's the the star that you get in Mario makes you run really fast and feel really good, but then it goes away until you find another one. He's that constant feeling of good feelings all the time. He also edits the show. I want to say thanks to Kate and Nick for joining me this week, and I want to say thank you to the listeners. You guys are fantastic human beings. Thank you to everyone who's been supporting us on Patreon and sending us really kind messages and stuff. We really appreciate it. Until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Can, can you imagine, like, trying to go to, like, calling up printing offices these days and being like, so I'm wondering if you'd print something for me. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we do that. You know, what are you thinking? And you, like, describe, well, the book would be, like, five inches by seven inches and 400 pages. And then you're like, oh, you know, this is kind of a, you know, just a side note. I want to I wanna put my blood in, in the book. See, like, what? What? <laughs> what I would do if we if we did something like that, it would be like, all right, everybody, I'm going to bring a single zine around with me. And every next time I see you, you're going to prick your thumb and you're going to push it onto the piece of paper. And then someone will have a copy of our blood, which is disgusting. And I now I'm really com- uncomfortable. Someone's going to clone one of us and it's going to be really weird. So uh, maybe not. Maybe we don't do that. We'll just get some we'll get some fake blood like those blood capsules and make people think it's our blood. <laughs> we got them. Anyways. Um, <laughs> sorry.